Isn't God good? Um, we're going we're gonna to pray and then we're going to look at this passage, okay? Uh, if I haven't met you before, by the way, I'm Kurt. I'm the minister of the church. I'm a frazzled minister this morning. Let me pray. Father God, we just want to praise you and thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that uh, you speak to us through the word of God. We thank you that you're here now in your presence and uh, that we can trust that, that even though I might be frazzled, uh, even though I might be all over the shop in my head, uh, that your word speaks anyway. Your spirit is amongst us and it speaks anyway. And so we just trust you for what you want to tell us this morning. We want to listen to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many of you have gone on an extended family holiday with everyone in your family before? Hands up if you've ever done that before. All right, all right, good, good. You have brothers and sisters, nieces, cousins, they might be all in the same house even. A crazy, crazy idea. And then someone asks the question, what do you want to do today? And then you get this. It's craziness. It's bedless. Everyone wants to do something different. It gets out of control. People are speaking on top of each other. It becomes a competition of who can loud the most. That was the church in Corinth. <laughs> like a family getting together, deciding what they're going to do today. That was the church in Corinth. If you're new with us, we're actually looking at a letter in the Bible called 1 Corinthians. It's a letter written by a man named Paul to a church that he'd actually started in a place called Corinth. A place that uh, was a was a very interesting place. It was like a hub, a commercial hub full of lots of people and ideas and practices and all sorts of strange things. And so this group of people become a follower of Jesus in this crazy place and then they start meeting together in community and as a consequence, because they're so radically different, it's really, really hard. It's really hard. It's like this out-of-control family holiday at church every Sunday. And so in Corinthians, you had a bunch of people who had very good speaking gifts. Everyone thought they were great at saying things. And so you had what were called tongue speakers. Uh, so they were people who prayed in a way that was not their normal language. You had people who were saying they were prophets. They were, they were giving the words of God to others. There were people saying words of encouragement and conviction. There were people who were calling people to, uh, to sing songs and teach. Uh, people were foretelling the future. And they're all in this group of people and they're all talking over each other. And so what was happening in this meeting, two things weren't happening actually. Firstly, people weren't listening to each other. There's no listening going on because everyone's trying to compete with them. Secondly, it, it was comp competition. Church was like a spiritual Olympics every Sunday where who's going to say the best thing, the right thing, and they're trying to outdo each other. And so Paul is writing this letter to this church that he'd started, he thought he'd started well, but they'd gone in all sorts of different ways. And so He'd started from chapter 12, we're actually starting from chapter 14 today, but we started a couple of weeks ago back in chapter 12, and what he does in chapter 12, he says, let me address this whole idea of spirituality in your church, all right? Everyone's claiming to be spiritual, let me explain what spirituality is. Spirituality is not tied to a particular gift, all right? So they were saying, because I've got an impressive, showy gift, I have, I'm, I have, I'm, I'm truly gifted and you're not, but... He's saying, no, it's not tied to a particular gift. Spirituality for a Christian is anyone who calls Jesus their Lord, Jesus their master, because you can't do that unless you have the Holy Spirit. So what makes a person spiritual is not that they have particular gifts, it's the fact that they have the Holy Spirit and it's marked by the fact that they call Jesus their Lord. And then he goes on to say that the way the Holy Spirit works in the church is he empowers different people in different ways. He gives different gifts to different, it's his choice. And no gift that anyone have is more spiritual. So you can't look at the person and think, well, they've got a great gift. They've got more of the Spirit than I do. Everyone has the same. Everyone, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, is drenched with the Holy Spirit. And yet, 
at the end of chapter 12, you get to the end there, and he says, pursue the higher gifts. Which is confusing because it sounds like he's saying there's no higher gifts and then, and then later on, he's, no one can be better than each other because you all have the same spirit. But then he says, pursue the higher gifts. Well then, what makes a gift higher? Chapter 13, he says, well, let me show you a more excellent way. And that is the way of love. And so what he's doing there is he's saying, you want to discern what is the higher gift or the, more, the gift that is more useful in the gathering? Then how can you most effectively love the people in your church? Because that'll be the higher gift. That, that's the one that's m- more advantageous because you can build up others more. And so chapter 14, he takes this principle of love as the measure of what gift is higher and he applies it to two gifts that were really popular in this church and that was the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And so he, met, he says, which one's in a sense higher? Which one's more valuable when you're gathering together as a group of people? And so he's going to say two things as he does that. First, he's going to say, pursue love and gifts. And secondly, he's going to say, speak helpfully. All right. First, he's going to say, pursue love and gifts. So chapter 14, he kicks off in verse 1. Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So even though gifts had divided this church, Uh, Paul doesn't just poo-poo them and say, hey, forget the gifts, just love each other. No, he says, gifts are good. He says, pursue love, love each other, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And then he says, especially prophecy. Now, what's prophecy? Eleanor does a good job in the kids' video before talking about it. The way I say it is this, there's two sorts of prophecy in the Bible. You have capital, capital P prophecy, and that is scripture. So anything that's written down in scripture, you call capital P prophecy. We are not speakers of capital P prophecy. Nothing you've written has gone into the Bible yet and I don't think ever will, okay? So we don't talk capital P prophecy. They are the perfect words of God. They are the authoritative words of God by which anything we speak is measured by. But not only do you have little P prophecy, you have what I call small P prophecy. That, it, that can be preaching, that can be any words that someone says uh, to another person that, that, that they believe comes from God but whatever they say needs to be tested against the authority of big P prophecy. And so in verse 3, he talks about building people up, consoling other Christians. That's the words of prophecy. And so it could happen through preaching. It could happen through conversations one-on-one. So Paul says, pursue loves, love and gifts, especially he's talking about little P prophecy. He's not saying write your own Bible. Uh, more than, he says, the gift of tongues. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God for no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the, his, in the spirit. On the other hand the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy. Okay, now the gift of tongues. For a lot of us, I think a lot of us as I look out here today, I'm not sure if any of you speak in tongues. I don't know you all. I don't know all your experience. Um, But for a lot of us, we don't have the gift of tongues. Uh, What do I understand it to be? In Scripture, I see the word tongues as it's it's, it's a pretty broad category. It can be talking about the the language that, that was spoken at Pentecost. So at Pentecost, this is after Jesus risen, Jesus says the Holy Spirit was going to come down on the disciples and when it came down at Pentecost, at this festival called Pentecost, they all spoke to thousands of people who were there and as they did it, they spoke in languages they did not know. 
but languages that the other people understood. And so because you, at Pentecost you had people from all over the world, they all spoke different languages, and you said all these disciples who didn't know languages suddenly being the gift to be able to speak all these different languages. And so they, they're talking about how great God is. They're talking about what Jesus has done, but they're speaking in other languages. Now that's one sort of tongues you see in, in Scripture, but it seems there's a broadness to what's described here in Corinthians. As you go through 1 Corinthians 14, just carefully saying, what is 1 Corinthians tongues 14 talking about? It seems that the words here is, uh, uh, tongues is speaking about a prayer language that involves speaking words unknown to the person, but enabled by the Holy Spirit. And, and so Paul says here, they're words to God, not men. So whereas Pentecost, it was about speaking to men. That's what they were given languages. Here, this is, seems to be a prayer language to God. It says they utter mysteries, and it says it builds up the person praying. Paul says he prays in tongues, and he says, I want all you Corinthians to as well. Now, there's some who want to suggest that uh, the tongues spoken about in Corinthians is speaking about the native languages that were spoken at Pentecost. I'm not convinced by that argument. Um, if you read the description of 1 Corinthians, it seems it's less about proclaiming the gospel like it was at Pentecost and more about prayer. Now, does that mean that what they practiced in Corinth was the same as what uh, contemporary people now who speak in tongues do today? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's exactly the same, um, but I don't think you need to know. Because regardless of the sounds that the Corinthians made as they spoke in tongues, uh, there's clear instructions on what the purpose of tongues is to be. Whether it's Corinthian tongues or what we do today or whatever tongues there is, in the first instance, they, he says here, the tongues build up the believer. Paul says, now I want all of you to speak in tongues. Now we're going to see he wants us to prophesy more. But... And also, we'll, we'll see that he doesn't expect that everyone will speak in tongues. So in the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, do all speak in a tongue? I know I, not everyone has that gift. But it is saying, Paul is saying, tongues is not a bad thing, and he wants them to speak in tongues. Now, it begs the question, are you willing to ask for that gift? <laughs> or do, I mean, it does seem weird. If, you, if you're not a, someone who... Uh, who has the gift of tongues, who is in a culture where everyone has, seems to have that gift. It does seem weird. So why would you? What is the use of tongues? Well, what do we get here? It says here that it builds up the person praying. doesn't say much more, but in the first instance, it builds up the person praying. Now, it doesn't explain how. Uh, in, later, it says that the tongue speaker should pray that they would be able to interpret that they would be able to interpret what their tongue was so they'd be able to speak it to the person, encourage a person and build them up. And, and so the tongues can be used to build up others, but in the first instance, it seems to be a gift that builds up the person. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I, I know people that I've spoken to who pray in tongues, they do feel like it does build up them as a Christian. It encourages them in their faith. And oftentimes it's in the midst of speaking in a tongue that they'll be given an interpretation, that they'll have words of encouragement to speak to another person. That's tongues. Paul says, desire gifts, ask for the gifts of tongues, but he says, but you know what? I want you particularly to prophesy. That's what I want you to get into, prophecy. Why? Because in the gathering, people need to understand God's word 
to be transformed. They need to be able to understand each other to be transformed. So second half of verse 5, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So why is prophecy greater? Why is it higher in a sense? It's because when you're in the gathering, it can be understood by the gathering. It can build people up. That is, that is, that's the way of, when you're in the gathering, you're thinking, how can I build up people the most? Prophecy is going to be the way to do it. Unless someone speaks in a tongue and there's someone who can interpret for them. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So again, he's not saying no tongues. He's saying tongues plus we have to have words from God to transform in people's lives. See, his vision of community, Christian community, is not just one person having their own private worship experience. So he's not making church this thing where we all just come together, we all just sit in our seat, we all have our tongues speaking and enjoying ourselves, disconnected from what anyone else is happening. All right? When we come to church, it's for each other. God wants to speak to each other, to encourage, to challenge, to encourage. Verse 12, So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. We, you want to pray in tongues, you want manifestations of the Spirit, you want to be spiritual people, then you, all the spiritual gifts are for building others up. He goes on in verses 21 to 25, said, one of the reasons is because when people come into your church meeting who are not followers of Jesus, who are not believers, if they come in and all of you are going off speaking in tongues, then they will walk away from you thinking they're all crazy because they're all speaking in tongues by themselves, having their own little worship experience. But if they come in and someone is prophesying, that is, they are speaking intelligible words of God, then someone who comes in will say, God is truly among you. God's here. Verse 26, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation, let all things be done for building up. See, that's his point here. Our words, when we meet together as church, is to build one another up. And so let me ask you, when you come, do you desire to speak God's words to each other? See, we are part of a group of churches. I'm getting ordained as an Anglican, an Anglican minister. We're a part of a group of churches that often give people the impression that unless you've been to Bible college, then you can't speak a word from God. Unless you've had a theological education, then you can't encourage people with the Word of God, that you have nothing to say. But Paul's saying, if you have the Spirit, if you confess Jesus as Lord, then you have the capacity to build someone up. His expectation that, is, that churches are not a place where you come to hear just one bloke speaking the words of God, prophesying the words of God, but that every person takes their place in the community of speaking words to each other. And so if you're taking part of our growth group series at the moment called One Anothering, that's, what that, that's the basis of what that is about. We are saying through that course again and again and again, every one of you is responsible to speak God's words to build each other up, to encourage, to bless, to exhort. That cements the measure of this church is not the greatness of me as a prophet, my speaking of the word of God, that everyone 
has an opportunity to take part, that our church will be great as everyone takes their part in speaking God's word to each other, in preaching, in words of encouragement, in text messages, in uh, WhatsApp messages, in uh, pastoral care, in counselling, in questions, in Bible study, in prayers, in conversations, emails. We need to be consistently speaking encouragement to each other from God's word. That's the church where God's really speaking. Even if I was the greatest preacher in the world, if none of you ever say something to each other, we are not the greatest church in the world. Because my job is to speak God's word to equip you to speak the word to each other. That's a healthy church. And so we need to kill any culture amongst us that says, unless you have a theological education, you cannot speak words of God to each other. You have the spirit, you confess Jesus Lord, you are equipped. Let's go. Let's step out and speak God's word to each other, to build each other up. But as we do it, secondly, we want to speak helpfully. We want to speak helpfully. So verse 21, 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if, no one t- if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. All right, Paul is saying there is nothing helpful about the family holiday where everyone's talking over each other. There's nothing helpful about you know, everyone at the front deciding at once to give some sort of word of God to each other and no one can understand what that's a waste of time and so what he's saying is there needs to be order you need to be helpful when you're meeting together you, you need to take turns and listen to each other okay so his point there this, con- this the context here he's talking about people talking over each other no one listening verse and then it kind of get then it kind of gets controversial verse 33 keep going as in all the churches of the saints the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law's, law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. What's that about? I mean, I, as you're reading it just then, you read it straight, your, your mind and your heart might recoil at what it seems to be saying about women um, and how patriarchal it seems. What do, how do I explain it? Paul is not saying that women can't speak in church, okay? It does sound exactly that, that what he's saying, but he's just said, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's speaking about women prophesying in church, all right? So the same guy who's speaking in chapter 11 about women prophesying in church, encouraging each other with words from God, can't be here saying that no woman should ever speak. Uh, so what is he saying? All right, so what is the context there? The context he is speaking about is, this, is where it's like the family holiday, everyone is speaking over the top of each other, okay? And so he's saying, people, everyone needs to be silent. When someone's speaking, everyone needs to be silent because you can't understand each other when you're speaking over the top of each other. Now, so what is the, the, the word, what is the silence he's talking about here? When he's talking about women not speaking, what, what is he particularly talking about there? Well, the word there for woman is particularly, it's for wives, and he's particularly saying, uh, in a, it's a particular type of speaking. So he's saying it's expected that as people speak little p prophecy to each other, that because it's not big p prophecy, which is how we measure what is true, 
um, that it has to be assessed by elders, by leaders of the church. And so the leaders of the church will take the big P prophecy, the scriptures, and measure what is said by everyone at church to say whether it's true, to whether, whether we should trust it or not. And so what Paul is saying is, yeah, if, if, if there are, if there are uh, married couples, all right, and, and in the church, then the woman is not to start fighting with her husband, all right, about what is true and what, uh, in the midst of the congregation, about what is a true word from God. He's saying if that starts taking place, take it back at to home. Take, discuss it at home. Don't discuss it in the middle of the church with a husband and wife having a fight over what is true. So that's what it's saying. It's not saying women should be silent. 1 Corinthians 11 says women can prophesy. Now this is a difficult part. In Peter, which is another part of the Bible, 1 Peter, Peter talks about there's sections of Paul's letters that are difficult for people to understand. This is one of them, okay? So the Bible's clear that Paul is sometimes difficult to read. But Paul's point here is that you need to make your speech in the gathering helpful. It needs to be helpful. So verse 39, So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now, orderly. Now, it's a very funny word for us, isn't it? Because we are uber orderly. We are, mystery, we are super orderly. We do this and then we do this and then we do this and we do this and there's not a lot of spontaneity and everyone's pretty quiet. Like, I don't need to say everyone should be silent in the churches, all right? Because like, everyone's silent. Even in my preaching, I'm pretty safe. All right? I'm, not, I'm not concerned right now that Sarah's going to get up and start screaming at me or yelling at me or saying, that's wrong, Kurt, or anything like that. A little bit concerned about Freddie. He's got, <laughs> but uh, no, not Sarah. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm pretty safe. Uh, there is order. There's super order in our churches. Now, that's good. But not if it means we are restricted from sharing God's word with each other. Not if it gives the impression that Kurt is the only one who can speak and it has to be just Kurt speaking to people and he's the only one who can speak words for God. That only the elders can speak, that only the leaders can speak. If that's the impression it gives, then that's going to be a problem for us because church is not just about you coming to consume. Sometimes you get the idea that it's about consuming. It's about Kurt delivers a meal of the word of God and or, or whoever's preaching delivers a meal of the Word of God and I just come and eat it up and then I go home. No, church is about every one of us actively speaking God's words to each other. Now that is one of the reasons online church is always going to be limited. Okay? You can listen to a sermon. Some people will say, I don't need to go to church, I can just listen to a sermon online. Yes, you can, uh, but, but that's not what church is. Church is speaking the Word of God to each other. Yes, you can consume a meal. You can do it every day of the week, but you can't do church. The sermon should be only one form of encouragement you receive from people when you meet together. The preacher should only be one person. It should be multiple, pe multiple words from multiple people as you meet together to encourage each other with the gospel. Now, we do everything we can, to, like during COVID and all those things, we've done everything we can to try to limit that limitation. Okay, by having Zoom groups, by having people talk to each other afterwards, trying to connect as much as possible so that people can encourage each other um, as much as possible and not just to be about consumption. Because in the end, you don't need to have a microphone up front to speak the Word of God. You can do it after church. I mean, even though we have orderly parts here, right, it's not expected that as we finish the formal service here that we stop speaking the words of God to each other. We go out, we have, 
we have morning tea when we used to have morning tea, but hopefully in the future, we go out in the garden, we sit and we chat. And what are we doing when we're doing that? We're not just saying, hey, how was your week? We're actually spending some time saying, hey, how's it going? Can I pray for you? Uh, Has anything encouraged you this week? I was really encouraged by this. Hey, that sermon, Kurt just, that word that Kurt, that Kurt just spoke was really encouraging to me for this. Like, that's the time where we're building each other by speaking the word of God to each other. And so Paul is saying to this church, I want you to earnestly desire gifts that build the church. We build the church, and, but make it helpful. Make it Love each other, pursue gifts, but make it helpful to build the church at St. Matt's. Does that make sense? It do, I feel like it does. As I preached it today, it, it's come, becoming bigger and bigger in my mind that it, it's so super important that you guys are speaking the Word of God to each other. That, that, that could get lost in the midst of all the hybrid church that we're doing now that I'm live streaming at the same time as doing it here and it just feels all messy. But I need to start making better decisions. We need to start making better decisions about how we can speak the Word of God to each other. All right, why don't I pray? Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity this morning to sit under your word, to understand what you're saying. Father, there's bits in it that are hard to understand, but you make it very, very clear that you want us as a church to not be just consuming uh, the words of a preacher, but you want us to be a community that as we consume the words of the preacher, uh, actually speak those words to each other, whether it's morning tea, whether it's during the week, whether it's text messages, whether it's uh, the WhatsApp group. Father, we have every opportunity to do community outside of Sunday as we speak and encourage each other with the gospel. And so make this a church that's doing that, Lord, that doesn't just talk about it, that doesn't just assume because we haven't been to Bible college we can't do it, that's not fearful, that there's no culture of fear, but actually speaks the word of God's God to each other. Father, do that amongst us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.